good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Randy Hain, a former Southern Baptist. He joined me on the Journey Home program on Monday evening. And I do want to extend a, a Merry Christmas to you all as we are now in this Christmas season. And uh, it's my prayer that the, 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 the day of Christmas was a great day for you and your family. And during this special week after Christmas, uh, I always consider it a great time to reflect on what difference Christmas makes in our life as we look ahead. In a couple days, we've got a brand new secular year. And so what difference uh, does Christmas make in our life that affects maybe the way that we can change some of our priorities in the coming year? Our guest, Randy Hain, is... um, the uh, besides being the managing partner of Bell Oaks Executive Search in Atlanta uh, and serving on a number of nonprofit boards in the Atlanta community, Atlanta community, he is the co-founder and senior editor for the Integrated Catholic Life e-magazine, which he co-founded with Deacon Mike uh, Bickerstaff. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Say that, Randy. Um, he's the co-founder of the annual. Atlanta Catholic Business Conference, a Catholic Business Cafe, and leads the St. Peter Channel Business Association Faith at Work Ministry. So Randy's a, a quite a writer, a frequent presenter on a number of topics, including faith, family, integration, leadership, and human capital. I'm assuming, Randy, that if they go to your website, they can find out a lot about your writing. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's the best way to point them, at mm-hmm. least right now. They can, they can find out about any books you've written and articles you've written dealing with integrating our faith into our work life. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, this is a convert to the Catholic faith, 2006. Randy and his wife, Sandra, have been married 17 years, have two sons, Alex and Ryan. And his website is, one word, integratedcatholiclife.org. And so, Randy, welcome to Deep in Scripture. Mm-hmm. It was good to have you on the program Monday night. Uh, those of you who didn't get a chance to listen to Journey Home, you can... Go to EWTN.com and, and watch the program or listen to it on the website. Randy, um, so we won't go through the whole journey process. We did that on Monday <laughs> night, unless there's something you wanted to, to mention that you forgot to mention Monday night. No, I think we uh, we covered just about everything. Uh, it was a great experience, and I'm looking forward to being here today. I mean, the main thing is just recognizing, especially you had mentioned that there was a particular point when you were sitting in mass with your wife, you both were on your journey back. You had moved intellectually mm-hmm. to being open to the Catholic faith from your Southern Baptist upbringing. But it seems that that particular moment that you described not only was an awakening to the Catholic faith, but to the very work that you're doing. Yeah, it's. Um, I think everyone comes to this place uh, in a different way. Uh, and for me, uh, as I mentioned Monday, you know, I was 40 that year. I was seeking the truth and maybe didn't exactly realize it. And by the end of a summer of uh, a lot of discernment and prayer and counseling that my wife and I were going through about joining the church and we made the, the decision – my wife was 100% there, and I was probably 70% there. And intellectually, I was ready, uh, but my my heart was not quite ready. And uh, I needed to um, go through a humbling experience, and I did. And the first, uh, it was actually the second Mass I ever attended, mm-hmm. I woke up one morning feeling lost and out of control and uh, went to Mass where that feeling intensified. And for 10 minutes, I was, uh, quite frankly, feeling like I was having a heart attack. My wife thought I was having one. And uh, during that 10-minute period, I surrendered to Christ. I, I acknowledged that I wasn't in charge of my own life and asked him to lead me, which I'd never thought of before, never even conceived of it. And I, I really, truly meant it, and that was the, the catalyst for a, a lot of uh, wonderful experiences and blessings. And one of the blessings that I came to appreciate in my own journey was that when we surrender to Christ, Jesus says in John 15, that apart from me you can do nothing. Mm-hmm. So even the surrendering is a response to grace. Mm-hmm. The fact that you had this awakening and, and God was rustling the waters a little bit, well, that was the work of his grace in awakening you to him. And even in the end, your willful decision to surrender was still a response to grace. So there's that mystery of the work of grace. But one of the biggest differences that, that I 
come to appreciate, and, and Randy, I think you have too, is that from a Catholic perspective, when it says apart from Jesus you can do nothing, uh, the way that we're intimate with our Lord is not merely a prayerful encounter, which was really the, the, the essence of it as a Baptist or as a Presbyterian, mm-hmm. but that we have the incarnational aspect of the sacraments, mm-hmm. an intimacy with him that's not merely spiritual, but that's physical and spiritual, which we can have a union with him in the Eucharist, in confession, in sitting before him in the Blessed Sacrament. He's there. Mm-hmm. He's very present. And that would have been a, a new experience for you as a Catholic coming from a Baptist background. You know, it, 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 that's true. And I think about that time often, and, and not just our conversation Monday, but it comes up in discussion a lot, and I, and I think about it a lot. I, I just firmly believe in retrospect that um, Christ would not have allowed me to come into his church with simply an intellectual approach. There is no way that he would have, I think, allowed me to go into um, this incredible commitment. It's a blessing, but it's a commitment. Uh, without truly understanding who he is and, and having that, that intimacy with him. And uh, I've also learned, and you and I have talked about this before, that surrender is an ongoing thing. Um, I find that I'm surrendering constantly. And uh, I pray for the, uh, the humility to be able to surrender sometimes because I recognize that my pride gets in the way a lot. And I have to humble myself to say, I'm not in charge. You're in charge. Uh, and as I've shared with you before, you know, St. Augustine has a great way of looking at, at that. If you want to know God's will, put God first in all things, then do your will. And in essence, you're doing God's will. And I believe that. that that's clarifying for me. Well, some of the verses that you've chosen for us to look at today deal with this surrender to Jesus Christ, the integration of, of He, uh, of Him in our life. But the first verse, though, we want to look at, you mentioned Monday night a few times. Mm-hmm. You just kind of gave it a glancing blow. You didn't really deal with it, but I think Mm -hmm. I'd like us to because, Mm -hmm. again, this verse deals with a surrender. John chapter 6. And let me read this. uh, And then if you would, I'd like you to comment about how you understood this verse as a Southern Baptist. But let me read it first. John 6. Read 53 through 58, and then we'll jump over and read 66 and 67. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, So he who eats me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not such as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. And this, after this, many of the disciples drew back and no longer went about with him. Jesus said to the twelve, will you also go away? So how did you deal with this one as a Southern Baptist, Randy? (laughs) Well, you know, interestingly enough, um, this particular scripture passage was avoided. Uh, I, I don't think I ever remember hearing this as a young man. And, uh, you know, I left the church at 16, but I had seven years in the church every Sunday, every Wednesday, every Sunday morning and night. And I don't ever recall hearing this. The way that we dealt with this particular um, piece of, uh, of the church is once a year we would have a very unofficial communion with grape juice and crackers. I mean, uh, that was really it. And so so much like other things that uh, I recall from my, my youth in the Baptist church, everything was symbolic. There were a lot of symbols. There was a lot of emotion. Um, there was not necessarily anything rooted in um, this is the truth because there was always a lot of personal interpretation, a lot of I think this is what this means. So when I was discerning coming into the church in 2005, a friend of mine uh, asked me to read this, and it didn't really give me a lot of context. He said, you need to go read John 6. And I read it, and I read it again, and I read it again, and I was just blown away. Uh, There is no way that you can read this and think that it's symbolic. He's really talking about his body and blood. 
and uh, the fact that most of his followers left him. I mean, Jesus didn't say, hey, I'm just kidding. Come on back. He meant it. And this was not an easy teaching. He taught the truth. And uh, it just blew me away to this day. I'm still in awe of this passage and what it means. I I think the the, what helped me come to understand this in the same way, because mm-hmm. even as a pastor, for 10 years, I don't have any records that I preached on this section. I think I preached on all of John 6 as a journey of believing. The crowd gets smaller and smaller until it's all the way down just to the 12. That's all that's left. Mm-hmm. And so it always emphasized to me this idea of surrendering to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Where else are you going to go? Peter says, that's it. It's, it's you, Jesus. And But I interpret it as an individualistic experience of Jesus and me. Mm-hmm. Where else are you going to go? Because I always said, no church, no nothing. It's just you and Jesus. That's how I interpret it. That's not the context at all mm-hmm. of the New Testament or of the entire scriptures. You know, even to this day, Marcus, um, it affects me deeply and my family because we've had discussions about this uh, when we receive the Eucharist. You know, we we pray to be worthy to receive. We pray once we've received it to be worthy going forward to just to be thankful for this great gift we've been given. And and I I really think that you've got to look at this and take this very seriously and just think about what you're taking into your body. Uh, you know, if we if we all thought more about having Jesus inside us, would we do the things we do and say the things we do? Well, that's exactly what St. Paul warned about mm-hmm. in 1 Corinthians 11. He said, wait a second here. you this First, after he gives the very clear scriptures that we all hear all the time uh, at the words of consecration, you know, after that he then says, whoever therefore eats the bread... Or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment upon himself. Mm-hmm. So it's an issue of, number one, doing it. Well, number one, doing it. Mm-hmm. He's assuming that you're a part of the community you're accepting the community's understanding, and you're receiving the, the body and blood of the Lord. Number two, that you're doing it worthily. But number three, that you're at least you're also recognizing it for what it is. Mm-hmm. I wasn't there before. I don't know about you, Randy, but I wasn't there as a Protestant. Well, you had asked me uh, the question about you know when I when I came to the decision uh, and, and my wife in, in, a, in a parallel path to join the church, what did we go through to get there? And I think it was years and years of, uh, you know, Christ working on me, and I didn't really know it at the time, to be prepared to understand this kind of truth. Because I, I, I wish I could describe for you exactly how I felt when I read it the first time really in my life. And I was blown away. I really was because I was ready to receive it. If I'd read it at 20, I would have just disregarded it. But at 40, when I finally read it and understood it, uh, and I still read it and, and feel in awe to this day, it's, uh, I just can't take it any other way other than truly being uh, you know, Christ's body and blood. Yeah. The, we've, for many years on this program, we've emphasized that to interpret the Scriptures correctly, you've got to understand them within their context. That verse 6, within the context of all of chapter 6, within the context Mm -hmm. of John, within the context of the New Testament, within the context of the entire scriptures, but recognizing the scriptures are a part of the wider tradition of the church that our Lord gave his apostles, and so that we have to interpret it within the church. Anything short of that, anything short of that, we're in danger of misinterpreting it based more on ourselves if we're not in the, the whole context mm-hmm. and the importance of that. And the one thing that I discovered in the journey is that the entire context of Scripture, the whole context of Scripture is liturgy from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And that if we're coming from a background as you were and I was, where it's more of an individual walk with Jesus, and we worship on Sundays, but it's really a walk with Jesus and me. This eating of his body and blood doesn't fit any categories. Mm-hmm. But if you understand it as worship in the continuity of the Passover sacrifice, mm-hmm. 
Then we understand what's going on in John 6 because it's the wider continuity of the whole salvation history of our of our faith. The um, We want to go into, I mean, there, there's a lot we could talk about in John 6, but we've. Uh, I wanted to make sure, though, we got to some other passages that you've selected, and particularly Galatians 2.20. Um, that's one of those those scriptures that most evangelical Protestants memorize. Mm-hmm. I, I knew that I did. And it's one of those I'd always encourage my congregations to memorize. Let me read, if I can. I'm going to begin with verse 19 um, and read 19 and 20. And then, Randy, if you would, share with us why this scripture is one that you've chosen, but it's sure. also one that's important to you. Okay. So Paul writes, For I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This, uh, this particular passage, um, I remember coming across about six months after um, my decision to convert. And I was going along with this new world in front of me. And for anyone who comes into the church, there is a tendency, I think, based on conversations I've had, to feel, wow, it's overwhelming. There's a lot of information. You're trying to take it all in, and you're trying to be faithful but a student at the same time. And as I was you know, going through all of that, I remember reading this and understanding very, in a very powerful way that I had to experience the dying of myself. I had to put away the old Randy. I really did. I had to put that away, and I had to be um, I had to be very mindful that I really have been given sort of a a second chance, and I really needed to recognize that uh, the old me was not going to suffice anymore. There was a new me, and uh, when I made that commitment in that mass, um, I really put that old Randy away. So for me, that's how this passage speaks to me: is Christ had to come first. Uh, Christ was everything. Uh, and as we talked about Monday night, uh, Christ first, family second, work third is my hierarchy. That's my that's my priorities. Right. And uh, but that doesn't happen unless I constantly come back to this and think about what it means. And this also is about surrender. Yeah. I, and I remember preaching this passage, and I I was a bit schizophrenic in the way that I proclaimed it to my congregation. Because on the one hand, we were Calvinists and therefore recognize that we are saved by grace through faith alone. There's nothing we can do. So uh, so salvation is a total gift. In fact, from the Calvinist perspective, it was something that God decided a whole lot long, a long time ago before I was even born that we were predestined and chosen. We'd never had a part of anything to do with our becoming saved. Nothing. Mm-hmm. So then we try and deal, okay, now wait a second. I have been crucified with Christ. Well, then what does that mean that I was crucified with Christ before the world began? I was predestined. How does one become crucified with Christ? And the, the schizophrenic part is if it is connected to my decision to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, if therefore that means this willful act of choosing and then separating myself from things that attach to me, and that's what it is, well, how do you fit that into Calvinist theology? Mm -hmm. Because this aren't those works, acts willful choices. Mm -hmm. Did you deal with those issues as a Baptist? You know, to some degree, um, as you and I have discussed, you know, what I do remember of my Baptist youth before I, you know, disconnected from it was it was very individualized. It was all about what I wanted, what I was doing, and, and you rarely thought about your impact on others. And as you said, we were taught that salvation was through grace alone. And as I've gotten older, and as hopefully a little wisdom has attached itself to my body, um, I, <laughs> I, I think about 
emptying myself. And there was a lot to empty, and I did. Uh, I, I did empty myself, and I'm constantly having to uh, revisit that notion that I have to get rid of that old Randy and, and let the new one come in. But I, 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 do, I do see what you're saying about the schizophrenia. But for me, this, you know, sometimes I don't necessarily go that deep into the Scripture passage. And I remember when I read this one, it just, it just made sense that, you know what, I left that old Randy on the battlefields and that mass, and uh, going forward, there's a new person here. And I, I've got to tell you, one of the things about reading Scripture that is so helpful to me is that when I'm off track and that when I am struggling with anything, I go back and read passages like this one or John 6 or others that I've mentioned, um, and I feel like I'm brought back to the right path. When you look in the context of this passage, again, directly in Galatians and then particularly in the writings of Paul, mm-hmm. what is fascinating is you have this juxtaposition of, on the one hand, the group of actually believers that yet are saying you must be circumcised to be saved. You've got to become a Jew first, they were saying to these Gentiles. Paul was a missionary to the Gentiles, so he was being told, pressured by these uh, Christians who were yet unable to let go of the works of the law that we are freed from. Mm-hmm. So he was requiring to be circumcised. That's the context. And Paul's saying, no, I've been crucified with Christ. It's not the circumcision of the flesh. It's the crucifixion that I've experienced in relationship to Christ. There's the juxtapose. So in the context, how are we crucified? Is this something we choose? I didn't get up on a on a couple logs nailed to a tree. He did that for me. How do I do? Is it merely choosing him? The context is baptism. Mm-hmm. That's how we're crucified in Christ. If you take that understanding and then look at the writings, then you understand when this took place, when we were baptized. The old is gone, the new has come. We went down and died and came up alive again. That is when we were crucified in Christ and made new people, new mm-hmm. creatures. The old is gone, the new has come. And I don't know that I, you were baptized at age nine, right? I, I don't know if you understood it completely and that it had that big of a difference in your life. You know, it's uh, interesting. I absolutely recognize what you're saying, but I didn't. it didn't dawn on me until my 40s what that really meant. At age nine, I'm not sure I had any uh, other than dunking in the tank. I didn't know what it meant. I just remember the, the preacher uh, ble- you know, blessing me in the name of the Trinity, and that was it. Yeah, and I don't think even as a Baptist the theology is there, that the baptism is anything more than an external sign mm-hmm. of your statement of faith. Mm-hmm. That's really what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose it could be an external sign of your realization that God has chosen you and and then you've surrendered to him. But it doesn't do anything. But the only thing that makes sense out of the context of all the references in Scripture to all these baptismal uh, necessities is that it really makes a difference. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking of, for example, in Ephesians 1, in him you also who have heard the word of truth the gospel of salvation, and had believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantor of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. How are we sealed in the Holy Spirit? That comes with baptism. And again, what that emphasizes is that you so clearly want to emphasize is that our walk is a surrender. Mm-hmm. It begins with this baptism. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to take a break in a little bit and we come back, we're going to look at the prodigal son, right? Yes. And so we're not going to read it all during this. It'll take up about three, four minutes of reading it on the radio. So we're going to take a break here in a bit for two minutes. And those of you, if you want to, you might take during that break, grab your Bibles and take a look at Luke 15, beginning with verse 11 on the story of the prodigal son, and we'll discuss that when we get back. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Randy Hain, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network.
This Deep in Scripture radio program is produced by the Coming Home Network International, a nonprofit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. You can listen to any of our past radio programs by logging onto our website, which also offers a wealth of information on our Catholic faith, including conversion stories, an online forum, and available resources to help you to find the truth of our faith. Visit us today at www.deepinscripture.com. Get an insider's look at the latest information from EWTN. Sign up for WINGS, EWTN's weekly email newsletter. Get the latest information about live events, special features, and guests. Connect with EWTN on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Just go to EWTN.com and click on the WINGS link to sign up. Don't miss a minute of all that's happening at EWTN. Get your WINGS today. CH Resources is excited to offer you Marcus Grodi's latest book, Thoughts for the Journey Home. If you're not Catholic but are looking seriously at the Catholic Church, or if you've recently entered the Church, this book will provide you with wisdom and encouragement for the journey. And if you're a lifelong Catholic, it makes a great gift for family and friends you're hoping will come home. To order a copy, visit our website at chnetwork.org or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Don't forget to watch the Journey Home program with Marcus Grodi on EWTN. Each week, Marcus meets new guests who have journeyed to the Catholic faith from many backgrounds. Be challenged and encouraged as they witness to how their love for the truth of Jesus Christ has brought them into full communion with the Catholic Church. That's the Journey Home program on EWTN, live on Monday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Randy Hain. He's a former Southern Baptist, and he's the co-founder and senior editor of the Integrated Catholic Life e-magazine. At the, uh, the website is www.integratedcatholiclife.org. Randy, if they went to that website, what would they find? They would find uh, just a number of very popular Orthodox Catholic writers, ranging from Peter Crafe to uh, Teresa Tamio, Lisa Hendy, and a number of others, uh, sharing uh, very strong articles uh, covering every aspect of your Catholic life in ways to practically uh, execute our faith in the workplace, in the public square, at home. So, it really gives you all the tools you need to lead that integrated life. All right, we. Um mentioned before the break that we've looked at John 6, which if you look at the entire chapter of John 6, which is the only way that you can look at this and give it justice, mm-hmm. is to recognize that it's all about a complete surrender to him, mm-hmm. it, it, trusting him, yes, even when he asks you to do absurd things, eating his body, drinking his blood, it's trusting him, mm-hmm. right? Galatians 2.20, that um, we are no longer our own, we are his. Right, then Luke fifteen, uh, and this is the familiar story of the prodigal son. Actually, they're the prodigal brothers, technically, because both of them needed to come back, one differently than the other. Mm-hmm. But let me read just a couple of verses, and then Randy, go ahead and reflect on it. Uh, begins. Then he said, "A man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me the share of your estate that should come to me.' So the father divided the property between them." Uh, and after a few days, the younger son collected all his belongings and set off to a distant country where he squandered his inheritance on a life of dissipation. Sound familiar? You know, it does. And this is something actually that um, uh, I did hear a lot as a, as a Southern Baptist, as a young man. But where this parallels my conversion story almost to a T was I see the father in this story and this parable as a loving father, a giving father. And uh, I've been blessed with a, uh, a wonderful father on this earth and, uh, and, and my mother when she was still alive. And they, they gave me love and time and instilled in me uh, their faith. And I was re- really grateful for that. But at 16, I rebelled against that. Mm-hmm. And I turned my back on the faith that I'd been taught. And even though I know that was the right choice, I know that I hurt them. And I know that 
the 23 years after that, uh, after uh, 16 and leaving the Baptist church that I spent in the spiritual wilderness was my own version of going off to that distant country. Um, I went to college, led a very hedonistic lifestyle. Uh, when I finished college, I threw myself into my career. Uh, thanks to the the blessing of a, a wonderful wife, uh, my wife Sandra, uh, I pulled back from the abyss and uh, eventually found my way into the church in 2005. But I, I really click with this idea of the distant country and uh, leaving the loving embrace of my my parents on earth, but also um, God the Father. I, I walked I walked away from Him and turned my back on Him for over two decades. And um, coming back uh, into His embrace is really the next part of this parable for me, Hmm. Uh, really understanding that um, I had to not only surrender, I had to maybe forgive myself and uh, ask for forgiveness. Um, And I'm I'm a firm believer in second chances. And I feel like uh, coming into the Catholic Church was my second chance. Um, And I could not have been more welcomed, uh, much like the parable. Uh, I was treated uh, like a prince and I was welcomed into his loving embrace. And I didn't recognize until I had made that commitment and surrendered and come back that um, of all the things I'd been missing. Hmm. And, I, and I recognize it just like the, the younger son in the parable. Uh, the regret I felt about being away uh, is much like the regret he felt. There's a, um, four words, a little phrase in this story uh, that to me indicate that part of the problem was the son's blindness to how much his father loved him. And we can be blind to how much our Heavenly Father mm-hmm. loves us. He's given a, a moment on which he can reflect. And it's way at the beginning, the very beginning of verse 13. Because now, I'm, let me say, I'm not a biblical scholar. And if you turn to Dr. Scott Hans or other uh, intimate detailed text they're going to have more background than we have at this moment but my understanding is that the norm in that culture is that the oldest son got the majority of the inheritance when the dad died mm-hmm. or when the dad essentially was retired he could no longer take care of the family then the elder son would get the majority of the inheritance the other sons would get less. So what's interesting is that this the father's not dead yet. He's, he, so the son dem- said, Dad, give me my, what's coming to me. So at the beginning, this son is being disrespectful mm-hmm. of his father. But what's neat is the father gives it to him. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes, as it says in the Old Testament Psalms, it's the discipline of a father who loves his son disciplines his son. And sometimes you say, okay, this is what you want. You've got it. But the beginning of 13 is fascinating. It, the boy just didn't grab it and run. It says, after a few days. After a few days. So there's a time when the son is living with the family and has been given all of this. There's a time for him to reflect on the beauty of this. And how generous his father has been and given him an opportunity. But he misses it. He, he misses the point and leaves. Maybe he thought getting that would make him different in the family, getting all that stuff. Mm-hmm. He's rich all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Maybe it would make him different. It didn't. Well, to your point, I remember distinctly um, going through this sort of thinking process and much like the the younger son didn't recognize his father's generosity and how it went against all the societal norms you know my parents were both very active practicing baptist and very active in the church and they could have said as i i lived under their roof as a 16 year old minor no no we insist you will go we we're going to make you go they chose not to. They chose to let me think for myself. They prayed for me, and they talked to yeah. me, but they didn't force me. And sometimes lessons have to be learned the hard way. And and even though I rebelled against them and I know I hurt them, um, I recognized that maybe I needed to go through this journey. Uh, now, I didn't think it was going to be a 23-year journey, but it was a long one. And, uh, <laughs> and I came back to the truth. But uh, I remember distinctly turning my back on my parents' love. And, and they could have acted differently, but they, they chose to let me go. Yeah. Your work with integrated life is about 
encouraging. Well, I'll, I'll let you explain it sure. because it's about encouraging people <coughs> to seek holiness in the midst of their vocation. Absolutely. Um, you know, we are very much guided by uh, Blessed John Paul II's uh, Fidelis Leachi, which is a wonderful apostolic exhortation about the call of the lay faithful to lead the unity of life. And the, the integrated Catholic life is about how to put Christ at the center of your life and integrate faith into every aspect of your life. Uh, that's the workplace, that's at home, and not just at your Mass. So when you think about uh, leading the integrated life, it's making sure that you're acting, making decisions, thinking, talking through the filter of our faith. And the, uh, the website, the e-magazine, uh, provides great content, great content, great guidance on how to do just that. And uh, we are really um, uh, very proud of our writers because they bring a lot of transparency and their own personal stories to their writing. Uh, this isn't just Catholic theology. This is These are real people, just like the listeners to this show, uh, who will find a lot of encouragement and inspiration there. Well, the next half of The Prodigal Son is about an older son that in the beginning of verse 13, when when the younger son is given his part of it, well, the older son's there too. And we don't know how well they got along, whether that son, younger son receiving his inheritance ahead of time caused friction, whatever it was, mm-hmm. but they were separated. And then we have this elder son who was there the whole time, but not appreciating what he always had. And my thinking is a good part of your integrated Catholic life apostolate is helping Catholics appreciate what they've always had. I think that's spot on, and I I mean no disrespect when I say this, but um, I think that oftentimes, I I think if you're uh, brought up in the faith, if you're a cradle Catholic, you have always had the faith. You've always had the, the blessings of our church at your fingertips. You've been immersed in it your entire life. And a lot of cradle Catholics will look with amazement at how converts react to coming into the church as adults. And we always seem so enthusiastic, so excited about it. And we have a a very keen appreciation for it. Uh, But let me say this also. There are a lot of cradle Catholics who are my mentors, who are wonderful, uh, faithful people. But I think the older son in this story, from my way of thinking, is people who, you know, wonder, well, these are the newest Catholics. These are the new people in the church. Why are they getting all the same blessings that we have? And, uh, you know, we are an uh, evangelizing church. We are meant to bring in uh, anyone who is, is looking for the truth. And uh, I feel blessed to have done that at age 40. But um, if you're, you know, if you're a practicing Catholic all your life, you know, we should always try to be getting and everyone we can into the church. Well, the truth is that uh, every single one of us uh, needs continual conversion. Mm-hmm. No one's ever arrived. One of my favorite statements, which I think goes back to Augustine, but I've, I've heard the quote from Father Gary Lagrange in which he says that in the ways of God, he who does not progress loses ground. Mm-hmm. And so we never reach a level which we can kick back and say we've arrived. If we think so, we're losing ground. Um, We're going to take a break, Randy, because I want to deal with the fact that, okay, every one of us needs to move forward, but it begins by appreciating where we are. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to give you this before the break so you have a chance to reflect, because Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount uh, a, a comment that's not easy to understand how to integrate it into our lives today, right? When we've got to think about taking care of our kids and our family in the future, mm-hmm. retirement, what if we're gone, how are we going to take care of our kids, all these, so many issues, but then Jesus had the audacity to say, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Let the day's own trouble be sufficient for the day. So when we get back from a break, let's take a look at that. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Randy Hain, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. 
EWTN.com is online with program information, the latest news, Pope Benedict XVI, plus tools for living the faith like prayers, Catholic Q&A, and other resources. Log on today to EWTN.com. The Coming Home Network International is a nonprofit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are interested in learning more about our Catholic faith, or if you know someone who is interested in becoming Catholic, please visit our website at www.chnetwork.org or contact us at 1-800-664-5110. Well, welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Randy Hain. You may have heard us at the entrance thing. I'm talking about turning 40, the, the, as we were discussing there. And, I, and, uh, and I, uh, I'm only a couple months away from turning 60. And, uh, but uh, it is amazing how, on the one hand, how insignificant the the years and months and days are of our life in that sense uh uh in reality whether we turned 56 or it doesn't make a difference yet yet they remind us that we're only here by the grace of god mm-hmm. we're only here by the grace of god when you help people recognize the need to joyfully integrate their walk with christ how does a verse like the one that i mentioned play into this about not having anxiety about tomorrow, uh, but but really focusing on today. Well, you know, it's um, I see this played out so often with uh, people in career transition, and there are so many good people right now looking for work. And in my professional life, I, I lead a recruiting firm, and there is so much anxiety about, rightly so, maybe about the you know how am I going to provide for my family? How am I going to provide for the future? And, and, and all these questions come up, and there's a lot of anxiety. There's also a lot of anxiety about um, other things. And I, and I've got to tell you, in my own personal life, and I, I, I know that there are a lot of ways to look at this, but in my own personal life, um, going to going to the Lord in prayer is the way to relieve this anxiety and and just giving it up. I, I just give it up. Um, and I, 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 I have so much peace uh, of mind after I go to the Lord in prayer about whatever I'm stressed with. And it takes, it takes something for people to get to that place. It takes surrender, humility, acknowledging you're just not in control, and you've got to ask for help. Now, you may still go through the trial, but you've got to learn um, to learn from that. Um, and I, you know, I just keep thinking about this is an overarching theme in my in my life, but recognizing what we're here for. You know, we are made for heaven, and we are called to lead lives of holiness. And everything that we do comes back to those two sentences. So I may be anxious about today's troubles, but I know that I'm made for heaven. So what am I doing that will help me get to heaven? I'm called to lead a life of holiness. Is my anxiety uh, deterring me from leading a life of holiness? You know, you can always peel back that onion and think about obstacles. Uh, but you, you've got to keep in mind what we're here for and re- recognize that we have a uh, a Lord who is here to help us, and he will help us if we go to him in prayer. I know one thing without any hesitancy, and that is that five years ago, there's no way that I could have known what I'm doing today. Right? I can say the same thing. There's no way. <laughs> I couldn't have put down on a day planner if I had taken a day away and, and planned what I was going to do in five years. I'm guaranteed it would not have been close to what I'm doing today, let alone 10 years ago, 15 or 20 or 30. So in that sense, there, there's no use worrying about it. Mm-hmm. All we can do is is keep our eyes on Jesus. And I remember... Way back when I had my Christian conversion at age 21 to Jesus from a nominal Christian background, that the pastor gave me which a verse which became for me one of my favorite verses. And I'm going to read this, Randy, and I want you to see, does this, it's from Proverbs, does this speak to your work of integrated Catholic life? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your paths. You know, that does, uh, I think that does speak to our work. So many times, and I am so guilty of this, uh, I don't know if you go through the same uh, challenges, but I try to act as if it's all on me. I find I fall into that trap every day. And I have to trust that Christ knows more than I do. He's going to lead me through this. Um, and, I, and I find that that, uh, that is what our work is about. It is about providing people with the tools that are taught by the church and giving them real-life examples that can show them the way. You know, I think at the end of the day, um, many of us may feel like we are supposed to do more. We're supposed to go out and, and evangelize and lead others and all of that. And that may be where you're called. But sometimes the best way to influence other people is just through your own personal example. And um, I can tell you that uh, you know, I've had many decisions that I've had to make over the past few years that have been challenging, tough. They've affected other people's lives. But I've always tried to make them through the filter of our faith. And people have come up to me and said, you know what? It's clear that that was not easy for you, but I know that you're a, a strong man of faith, and I know that you you prayed about this, I'm sure, and I did. And uh, so I think that we do have to put our faith in the Lord, because I can tell you, when I tried to put my faith in my own thinking and my own actions, uh, I was always a miserable failure. <laughs> it, it never worked out for me. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, ain't that the truth? In fact, the, the next verse in Proverbs, which was not one that I memorized, but the next one was, be not wise in your own eyes. Mm-hmm. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. I mean, that's the call. But that five and six verses seems to, and and it seems to me that this is what integrated Catholic life is about. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. So we need to put that's a journey. That Just that little phrase in mm-hmm. itself, trusting in the Lord with all your heart. What does it mean to trust? What about all our heart? That's not a qualified trust. It's an entire trust, and it's very difficult. It is. Um, no, I, I agree with you. I think that you've you've got to get to that place, and it's not a one-time occurrence where you're saying, okay, I am following Christ. He is first. And it's a daily thing for me to surrender and get to that place. But in the integrated life, the, the concept of the integrated Catholic life, Christ is at the center, and faith is woven through your your um, your faith, your, your uh, home life, and your work life. Everything is integrated, but Christ is at the center. We said this earlier, but you've got to think about your priorities. If, if you're not coming back to the place where Christ is first, family second, and work is third, you might want to rethink your priorities. Um, and that's difficult, easy to say, difficult to do, but that's what we're called to do. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that third verse in that memories, in, in all your ways acknowledge him, it seems to me that statement has always expressed how you work, mm-hmm. right? I mean, in your job, somehow, mm-hmm. What you're doing is to acknowledge him. You know, I, uh, I wrote an article uh, about two months ago, and it was titled, Don't Be a Two-Thirds Catholic. And the, <laughs> and the subject of the article was, uh, don't ignore where you're going to spend one-third of your waking adult life, which is the workplace. We can't leave our faith at the door. And uh, so many people think that we should, and yet I've never seen a company policy about not bringing your Catholicism to work. And it's, uh, it really needs to affect our decision-making, how we live out our, our work. It's, there's so many aspects here we can't get in all of it. But you can't ignore any aspect of your life in regards to your faith. Catholicism needs to be part of who you are. I think uh, Gaudium et Spes uh, talked about this. But, you know, the, deco- the dichotomy that many of us experience where we try to separate our spiritual self from our physical self is toxic. It's unhealthy. You, we can't do it. And yet so many of us do try to separate our faith from our, our physical selves. Yeah, for some some of you that aren't familiar with that, Gaudium et Spes is not a Spanish teacher. Uh, <laughs> that is one of the documents of Vatican II mm-hmm. that deals with life in the world and you know, how we live out our faith in the world, which is where we're called to to be Christians in the world. Um, the in your teaching of the integrated life, would you say that the the fourth line of that proverb is very very true? In other words. If number one, through his grace, and as you're conforming to Christ, number one, if you're seeking to trust him, mm-hmm. number two, you're not leaning on yourself. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, you're going to trust him. If number three, then in all that you do in your work, um, that you're you're doing what you can to point to him. That the fourth thing is you can leave the rest to, to him because it says he'll direct your paths. If you think about what you've just gone through in one, two, and three, the process, the challenges inherent in those, but if you've successfully gone through those three, then yes, absolutely, uh, you can trust with great certainty. Um, I don't know how many of us or how often we will get to the fourth line and, and really live that out, but we are called to try, and we are called to faithfully try. And, uh, and I think that's where, you know, every day if we will recognize that we don't wake up and everything's going to be easy, that we have to start over almost every day, I think we'll, we'll keep our, our sanity. But I can tell you that I, I work every day to try to get to number four, and I rarely do, but every now and then I get close. And that's what keeps me coming back. Well, and the promise of number four is that he is guiding. Mm-hmm. He is guiding. Like in the prodigal son, that father was never apart from his son in love. Mm-hmm. He was never apart from either son in love. They were the ones that were apart. We're the ones that are apart from God. Mm-hmm. He is there guiding. He, he, you know, He loves us even when we make the stupid mistakes of our life. He wants us to, to turn back to him. Um, and that verse, next verse, which, again, I didn't memorize as the Protestant, but this need to not be wise in my own eyes, but fear God. And that, that fearing of God is both that, you know, I want to be faithful because I don't want to end up in hell, mm-hmm. but also I want to be faithful because I want God to be proud of his son. You know, if you think about the the world we live in today, the individual is constantly lifted up, and uh, you know we're we're taught to be focused on our needs and what we want. But I keep coming back to what Saint Ambrose is is quoted as saying. Uh, uh, let's see, what is it? A uh, a someone who follows his own counsel is a scholar under a fool, or something yeah. like that. But. Um, <laughs> You know, I keep thinking about how we just don't, we, we've got to trust Christ and we've got to put him first and follow his will and not our own. That's right. Well, and we're on a journey, right? Absolutely. I mean, we, we, we don't claim to have arrived there only by the grace of God that we've been awakened to this beautiful gift that we have. Mm-hmm. So, Randy, thank you. Again, what's your website for the folk? Integratedcatholiclife.org. Okay. And Dick, I've got it here before me. There's lots of good articles and blogs, and you can be involved and give your own opinion to the comments that people have made, right? Yes. Thank you, Marcus. Well, thank you, Randy, for joining us on the program. And all of you, I'm hoping that this is an encouragement to you. Don't forget to go to chnetwork.org where you can watch this program uh, from our studio. You can lots of resources, find out more about the work of the Coming Home Network because we're very much like what Randy's committed, trying to help those on the journey integrate their life with Jesus Christ in this church. God bless you. See you soon.